it clearly shows that that biblically he he was and he is in fact you have to throw the gospel message out if you were to say that he does not and was not or is not still still dealing with biblical israel there's a new covenant that's been established and so another one of those critical pieces that's that's an error and we've got to be willing to change our thinking to change you know what we you know put out um and correct it and that's what's dogged christianity for a hundred years in america is there was no willingness to change that which you know had only been believed for maybe 75 years because prior to that when the bible was actually readily available for people was you know was not until the six early 1600s and late 1500s when it was actually put into print and so um you know you had theological seminaries that were already being infiltrated so as to diffuse that word and clearly the enemies of the will of god do not want that information in the people's hands and in you know to be educated on it just look at your government your government doesn't want you to be educated on anything that you need to be educated on where it pertains to them because if you were educated you wouldn't be tolerating it you wouldn't be standing for it and so keeping the people dumb and ignorant is is the best policy so likewise in the church they recognize as long as this biblical record is going to get into people's hands we're going to have to infiltrate the the seminaries and infiltrate you know the written texts in any way that we can so as to obscure um you know the the clear biblical intent and clearly that has happened and so we all are struggling in the growth uh, in our growth and um understanding and largely because We've done what so many generations before us did, and that is listen to what somebody else tells them the word says instead of actually reading the word and digesting it and where we have problems or where we feel like there's conflict or anything else that we develop in 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 our study of it. That's where we put our heads together and see what we can determine as the most logical understanding, not an interpretation. And when we allow the Bible actually to interpret itself, then then we should have the understanding. So, yeah, clearly some things there. Now, um, uh, in this series i as i say i believe that what was laid on my heart as we started into that past series uh several weeks ago and we're coming to the concluding uh messages in it it just seemed overwhelming to me that what the spirit was laying on my heart was that um you know we need to and and i had two two email confirmations to this effect as well that they are of the same mind saying that they're going out and trying to speak uh with regards to modern jewry um and 
being more tactful, if that suits somebody's fancy, about how we approach the whole um, controversy that we have with those calling themselves Jews today. And, and it's, it really is a, a linchpin, I believe, into the whole thing because we're putting them on the carpet. We're saying, explain yourself. You know, explain yourself if you believe that you are God's chosen people. Explain yourself <clears throat> as it pertains to the other 11 tribes. Or if, if they were to say, well, we still comprise, you know, Benjamin and, and Judah. Well, you've got to explain the other 10 tribes. And you have to explain the biblical prophecies whereby there is a new covenant. It is established in the scripture and so forth. And you have to explain, you know, your position on, on the Messiah. <clears throat> and so it, it's very tenuous for them. And by approaching it this way, instead of just, you know, using the buzzwords, and I know that Melissa and I have probably talked a little bit about this too, is that I, I want to try to give people a little bit more ammo than just having this situation where, you know, it's the Jews, it's the Jews, or, you know, however that has been going out into so many of the, the little factions, if you will, amongst us. And um, trying to do a better service. And author Richard Kelly Hoskins said, our propaganda has got to get better. Well, clearly, you know, the intention was not propaganda as we think of propaganda today, but that's exactly what they are doing to us is propagandizing us. And he's just clearly saying we've got to get better at articulating um, so that we foil um, the, the slurs. And and that will happen. And it's not going to stop what they do because they do what they do. Um, the only way it would stop is that they fully repented and, you know, said, man, we've really got it screwed up. We were completely wrong. Well, we know that's not going to happen because none of us believes that any of them who call themselves Jews today have anything remotely probably to do with any ounce of blood in their ethnological table. So um, uh, that's just the way I see it and the way I think a lot of other people see it because there's no explanation for what it is that they're doing. Um, and even John the Baptist said to those Pharisees that, you know, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. and we're still not seeing it 2000 years later. So there's got to be something wrong with it for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tel Aviv. Yeah. Gay pride parade. Yep. Well, <clears throat> and, and where, where is today's Christians? Uh, no, you instead you have Jim uh, John Hagee going out there and continue to parrot the the Zionist lie to everybody that listens to him, and um, so it is what it is. But uh, I recognize that there's a biblical uh, responsibility and duty to warn, and biblical responsibility and duty 
to not be fooled and to not be deceived. And so this is why we come together and do what we do is to be not deceived and to stay in the word and grounded in the world word. And uh, for all the, the reasons that we do not want to have our names blotted out of the book of life. Part three, even now there are many antichrists. Good evening to you all. I know I don't do this enough. I've been told that I need to do this again more and more. And I don't I want to welcome you for joining us. And thank you, Italy. Uh, I know I'm making some noise here, but uh, we have had some visitors from Italy to the uh, archive pages. Don't know who you are yet, but uh, saw that there was some activity from your neck of the woods. Perhaps it's uh, it's the Roman Catholic Church uh, listening and uh, see what it is uh, they need to know. Uh, doubtful. But um, anyhow, we do welcome you. You're listening to the Gideon Warrior Radio Network, and we uh, do want you to remember that you can email us at gideonelite at protonmail.com, gideonelite at protonmail.com. You can uh, hear these archives by going to the uh, archive pages and listen to any of them that are there. You're free, uh, welcome to, to share them and uh, freely pass them around. And if you have questions or anything like that, certainly uh, we'll be uh, willing to assist with any answer to the question that may have arisen. But we do thank you for listening to this Gideon Warrior Network Fellowship and the archives. And that's not all. I don't say it often. I don't look at things very often in, in that part of it because it's not about me. It's about what, what uh, is happening with the, uh, the word of truth going out. And, um, but it is going out. It's going out in a magnificent way. And uh, as Pastor Peters used to say from time to time, you know, you hit these dry spells and sometimes you don't know that anybody's even listening. When he would come to a um, a nightly broadcast that he would do and, uh, you know, sometime later, he'd find out that somebody listened to a broadcast and and it was that broadcast or it happened to be the week that he was in one of those funks and so forth. But at any rate. Uh, this is, as I say, part three. Even now, there are many antichrists. I thought to title it different. I'm going to keep the title where it is because this is, I believe, what we need to center it on is the antichrist. And tonight, the first thing I guess I would say is that it's going to be about immigration. Last week, in bringing about an understanding about even now there are many antichrists we talked about usury i believe it is one of the primary reasons we're in the shape that we're in is because of all of the ill-gotten gains and uh the fiat currency and usury system is the tool by which they oppress and take over nations and uh oppress the people so <clears throat> this week 
immigration because I think it's important for us to maybe hone our skills a little bit more about that. So tonight, I'm hoping that we can take a few minutes here to learn uh, maybe a better way to look at this. Turn with me to Leviticus. We're going to begin with Leviticus chapter 19. And I'm going to go to verse 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of the harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor, the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Why do we need to know this? And seriously, Doug, do we need to do this today? Well, what it is, is it's a legislative intent. The legislative intent is that there's a measure of food left for those in need. So we do do these kinds of things in America and other Anglo-Saxon nations. We do do this and we provide for those that are in need without necessarily going to the principle of the corners of the fields. We do this by bringing the corners of those fields, if you will, to the people. Leviticus chapter 24, 22, that'll be our primary scripture here for the evening on beginning this little bit of a study into um, immigration. Leviticus chapter 24 and 22 is on the next page there. You shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger as for one of your own country, for I am the Lord your God. That word here, the stranger, in the Hebrew is ger. It's number 1616. It means a guest, a sojourner. And a sojourner has like obligations. That sojourner is not an inheritor of citizenship or an inheritor with biblical Israel and their land, but had obligations. They can't even become citizens, but the word there, stranger, is number 1616 ger in the hebrew and what it means is you're a sojourner you're a guest turn now to deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 3 of a foreigner thou may exact it again, but that which is thine with thy brother thy hand shall release. Now, I know I just pulled single scriptures here for the sake of time. I did it for a purpose so that we would get the words that are seen in these two different passages. So here we have something here in the context of the manner of release, and that was regarding the creditor. You're to release your neighbor, but of the stranger you could exact that debt uh beyond the um time limit for the year of release 
So we have two words here that mean different things. This word foreigner is used in the in the um, uh, King James Version is uh, Hebrew nakri. And I guess I didn't write down what word that was in Strong's, but you can find it. Deuteronomy 15.3, go to Bible Hub uh, as it's laid out, hit Strong's, and you'll have the appropriate words and the numbers. Now, Deuteronomy 14, we're going to back up just a little bit to 21. It says, you shall not eat of anything that dies of itself you shall not give it unto the stranger that is in your gates excuse me you shall give it unto the stranger that is in your gates that he may eat of it or you may sell it unto an alien for thou art a holy people unto the lord thy god that shall not see uh, see the kid in his mother's milk end quote all right now we have two words here alien and foreigner Alien is ger, and foreigner is knockery. So we have two different words with two different meanings. Biblical Israelites and Yahweh, according to his word, had a distinction between peoples of a nation. A ger, a knockery, and an ethnic Israelite. That would be one with a common ethnic racial characteristic and all in a generalized geographical area. So hopefully that begins to lay the groundwork for us for proper understanding of it. Turn to Exodus chapter 23. <clears throat> and there's more scriptures that you can throw in here. Obviously, there's just some that I. I pulled out. Uh, Exodus 23, and let's go to verse 20. I'm going to do Let's do 21. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name. I wonder if I wrote that down wrong. Oh, I said 31, and I read 21, I think. Maybe I said it wrong. Uh, 30, uh, 23, 31. I'll set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. So what's this all about, Doug? Well, this is Yahweh making a distinction geographically. Because it seems as if today we are being taught and told that there should be a borderless world. Well, we have to get the talking points right, or as Richard Hoskins said, our propaganda's got to get better. 
So we need to be able to articulate the word of God and how it delineates and makes distinctions. And as I say, there's dozens of these. These are just some that, you know, came to my mind that I've thrown out here. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8 now is another note that I have. And let's see what we have. I think I know what it was. Um, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed their undo and said, These are thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I picked that because that's a scripture that most professing Christians know about. They know that God took these people called biblical Israel out of a nation called Egypt. And the scripture says, or calls it, the the land of Egypt. So, now, with this in mind, and I know I've just kind of boom, 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 but hopefully I'm starting to you know, get the juices flowing in your thoughts about why we need to get better about how we approach these things in talking with people. Uh, biblical Israelites, as I said, according to this word, have a distinction between peoples of a nation and a ger, a knockery, and an ethnic Israelite were the ways that God referred to them in his law. So biblical Israelites could have a ger, which was a stranger or an alien, in their midst and among their midst. And there could be a foreigner in their midst, a knockery. Now that we understand that God did allow for both a foreigner, a knockery, and an alien or a stranger, Ger, in the land of Israel, then we know that it's possible that we would have migrations of other peoples, strangers and aliens, that would be in the land. Then we also learn from the word, just this few little passages, that God in his word actually refers to national distinctions. Canaan. Asia, Ethiopia, Egypt, right here, the one that most professing Christians would clearly recognize. Assyria, Crete, Cush, Crete, Libya, Egypt, Samaria, Babylon, Scythia, uh, Spain, Midian, Moab, Philistia, Italy, Greece, Rome. So we can suffice it to say that there were geographical nations geographical nation distinctions called by these names. So if we can establish biblically that Yahweh's recorded record for us clearly 
identifies geographical land masses as what we would call countries instead of just saying the land of Italy we say Italy and we naturally think of the country we think of Greece and we think of the country of Greece we could clearly call it the land of Greece the land of Egypt the land of Moab the land of Philistia the land of Rome. It really doesn't matter. What does matter, however, though, is what we are to understand or know about the characteristics of a country. Professor J.G. Murphy, he writes about the characteristic of a country and describes it this way. Number one, it is descended from one head. It is descended from one head. That's pretty profound. Certainly, you can have grafting in of intermarriage, but it is descended from one head of original stock. Secondly, a nation has a country or land which it calls its own. It may be appropriated by necessary um, migration. Uh, there's clearly a vital union that subsists between all the members of the head. So he's saying that any country or land which the that people of of one head or descended from one head of original stock is what is generally going to comprise a nation. And that geographical land mass is what it calls as its own. Now imagine just with that understanding of the characteristics of a nation, what would happen to a people who would lose not only their descendancy or any knowledge of their descendancy and then lose any geographical connection to that head or descendancy? And this is what's happening. And the people don't understand and don't know because they don't know the law of God, which clearly told them there are certain things that I'm going to do. And one of those things is I'm going to bring you into a land. And that land was from one head. It was a people descended from one head that were to occupy that land. The third item that Professor J.G. Murphy writes about is that it is a uniform law that one nation has. And it's only one speech or one language within itself. In other words, it's its own tongue. That was one of the things we went over a few weeks ago about the philological identity of 
biblical Israel as it pertains to where they are today. So it has a uniform law and it has a one speaker language within itself. It's its own tongue. So clearly what's happening to us today, we're becoming multilinguistic. The fourth characteristic of a nation is that it's comprised of many families or clans or tribes. So, we can definitively confirm that the Bible is a record of the family or nation of the head, that is, Abraham, and the descendants of Isaac, Jacob, Israel. So there's numerous uh, of numerous passages that are going to bear witness to all of that, and we we understand it. But a lot of people don't. They've been taught in these milk toast churches. The word has been cast aside. It's a new day. It's a new God. It's a new everything to them. <clears throat> it's a God of grace that no longer has any compunction to do with Israel. <clears throat> As I said, that one gab post, <clears throat> I wanted to make sure that that got corrected because he clearly does have some uh, communication and or dealings with biblical Israel after what they say is the new covenant. Ask a Christian today if they can define when the new covenant existed or came into existence. And uh, you'll get a lot of supposition, I think, and very little fact. But let's swing back to Deuteronomy 14 real quick. I was in Exodus here, and I want to go back to 1421 and just read it again. Um. If the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to put his name, I didn't read this one, sorry about that. If the place which I, the Lord thy God has chosen to put his name there to be too far from thee, then thou shalt kill of thy herd and of thy flock, which the Lord has given thee as I have commanded thee, and thou shalt eat in the gates whatsoever your soul lusts after. Did I do? I'm not in 14, I'm in 12. Sorry about that, folks. 14, 21 shall not eat of anything that dies of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in the gates, that he may eat of it. Thou mayest sell it unto an alien, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. All right. <clears throat> the reason I want to go back to 14.21 is that, is it God's intention for both words here to impute the same meaning? And the answer is no. There's two distinct non-Israelites, non-ethnological individuals, people that are being referred to by that scripture. And he conveys to biblical Jacob Israel that immigrants, foreigners, aliens, ger, as we went over uh, the the Hebrew word there, <clears throat> ger and uh, nakari, he's conveying to biblical Israel, Jacob Israel, that 
these immigrants, foreigners, aliens, to the common racial ethnicity are allowed. But they live under the commands given them by their God. Flip to Leviticus 24.22. Now, many today in America and Christians will understand or seem to comprehend and understand this part of it, <clears throat> but probably not the actual essence of it. You shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger as for one of your own country. I am Yahweh, your God. In the context that it was written, we see that country in some translations, however, homeborn or native is used in that particular scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. And that word is Kezra, Kezra, or it's number 249, Ezrak, and it means a native from Zarak, which is the, the, the what do they call that, the, the root word, uh, native from Zarak, born, one's own, born of one's own country. So when we read those scriptures, that's what we're to understand is that whether it's translated as country or translated as homeborn, it means, or native actually, they use that as well. It, it is th that word, number 249. <laughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> and it means a native from or born from one's own country. So we've covered the groundwork essentially for our, our argument or our case concerning biblical immigration. We understand the words and their meanings within their proper context, and they're to be applied in the U.S. or other Anglo-Saxon nations, wherever they are. And it can even be applied <clears throat> with the current laws that we may have in the nation. But not if they're not being done uniformly. And I know we get this, but what I'm asking ourselves is, are we really conveying to the rest of our countrymen that what's happening to us is because of the violation of the legislative intent of God's law. And so the argument might be, well, it's the same if it's U.S. law um, and they're violating U.S. law. So what's your point? My point is, is the legislative intent of God's law is more direct in conveying to the individual why it's supposed to be done. When you understand what a country is and it's, it's ethnic descendant from one head, then it makes all the more sense in the world. But that's not the way anybody, I dare say, in America looks at 
any of this. And if they're not going to look at it under this, you know, especially being professing Christians and claiming that they're a Christian nation, then they have to. They're compelled to look at it in this in this light. And so my hope is, is that maybe we're able to do better at how we are trying to talk to those that we do talk to so that they might have a better understanding. <clears throat> so the legislative intent or the standard that Scripture has is one law for the homeborn. Excuse me. All right, I don't know what that is, but it's getting a little scratchy at the top of the. So I know that the vast majority of people will say, yeah, we get that. There's supposed to be one law. They're not even following the law. And that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm really trying to do is to get us to understand why we have actually the laws that we think we have is because they're all rooted in this biblical foundation. So we're not to be afraid of the biblical foundation. We're to understand the legislative intent of that foundation and then see it in our own laws. I hope that helps. Now, the best example or application for GARE is Exodus 20, verse 10. So let's flip over to Exodus 20, uh, verse 10. You should all be familiar with that. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou shalt <clears throat> do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor the manservant, nor maidservant, nor the cattle, nor the stranger that is within the gates. <clears throat> this individual and his status in the country imposed an obligation on this gear or this knockery to keep the Sabbath, to not work, and to maintain holiness in any activity. Exodus 31. And they all begin at 12. And the Lord spake with Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath you shall, you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am Yahweh that does sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you, every one of you that uh, def defileth shall surely be put to death for whosoever does any work therein that soul shall be cut off from among his people six days may work be done but in the seventh it's a sabbath of rest holy to the lord whosoever does any work in the sabbath day he shall surely be put to death <clears throat> all right how many professing muslims do you know that would be just dying to get into Anglo-Saxon lands, Europe, 
America, New Zealand, Britain, Germany. With this biblical law being applicable. Because I can't think of a wand that would want to come and rape daughters in our country when they know they're never going to get a chance to rape our daughters because they're going to be beheaded or stoned more appropriately. <clears throat> this is a distinction of biblical Israel in their land. Acknowledgement of Yahweh in the land and his people. It doesn't really get more complicated than that. And yet we see wrangling and wrangling and wrangling and wrangling. So what is the legislative intent of that? You come into this land where biblical Israel resides under the law and command of their commander-in-chief and you abide in the law. If you don't abide in the law and maintain the holiness required of you in the land that God has given Israel to dwell in, then you shall be put six feet under. Or maybe just given to the birds to eat. That's a pretty simple immigration plan. Why is it that the professing Christian doesn't like that plan? I, I, I'm just asking a rhetorical question. Turn over to Numbers 15. <clears throat> and let's go to verse 14. If a stranger sojourn with you or whosoever be among you in your generations and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord as you do, so shall he do. A gare does just as a biblical Israelite does. Not anything else. Or actually, the law of blasphemy against Yahweh could be invoked. Go to Leviticus 24 for the context of it. Exodus 12. Uh, let's go to verse 48. When a stranger shall sojourn with you and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, 
and unto the stranger that sojourns among you. A gear could, upon accepting Yahweh's covenantal obligations of circumcision, partake of and participate in the obligatory Passover observance. Clearly, this presents a gear as committing to this nation's, that is, biblical Israel, custom, just as Yahweh says, and he shall be as one born in the land. Same word, Ezra, native, native born. We can learn something else, actually, from this scripture. The word land is Heeres, number 776, and it's Eretz, meaning country or territory. So in the country or territory of the Israelites, a ger could accept Yahweh's covenantal obligations and the obligatory obligation of Passover that was to be kept in every generation. That's what you call a commitment to a nation's people and their God. People want to come to the Anglo-Saxon nations for 150 years. Why? Because they practiced generally righteousness. And so... Blessed were they that peoples all over the world could see the bountiful blessing and want to be part of that. <clears throat> this is one of the key proponent or the key fundamental principles that the you know the what do they call them the motivational speakers talk about you know surround yourself with with those that that are going somewhere so that some of that going somewhere will rub off on you so if if there's a country or a territory a common geographical area of jacob israel this must be defined as another divine immutable law and of course it is. Deuteronomy chapter 32. So if Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, Celtic, Germanic, kindred peoples actually reside on a land, it is because of Deuteronomy 32, verse 7 through 10. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He'll show you your elders and he'll tell you 
when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a deserted land and the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Say it again. If there is a country or a territory, a common geographical area of Jacob Israel, this has to be defined as another divine immutable law of God. And of course, it is. Deuteronomy 32, 7 to 10. He set the bounds of the nations and their inheritance. Even though we may look at history and say, or that an Indian here on the North American continent may say, well, they forced their way into the North American continent and they annihilated my Indian brethren. Take it up with God. Just because men do things wrong or incorrectly or not the way God would have them be done doesn't mean that that's God's fault. But if he set the bounds of the nations, you argue with him. And clearly, Israel needed the landmass necessary for its expansion according to the will of God. So, We've established Yahweh conveys national and geographic and national distinctions, essentially. Agar is a non-Israelite who accepts, first, the nations of Jacob Israel and Yahweh his God. Secondly, wants to reside with them. Thirdly, accepts the biblical, excuse me, accepts the obligations of Yahweh and what Yahweh has required of his people and agrees to comply in order to abide with Jacob Israel. Fourth, they can glean from fields and they can even tithe and can receive from the social structure as it pertains to widows. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22, and Deuteronomy 26, 12 and 13. Fifth, they have accepted a penalty of death for blasphemy of Jacob, Israel's God, amongst all of the obligations. And any time they might have considered it too restrictive, or intrusive upon their person, they were free to march their behinds right on out. Seventh, a gear can be full Israelite by custom, but not inheritance. I could be incorrect on this. I Probably didn't study it long enough. <clears throat> My, 
my belief is from the scriptural record that I know in my head that Aguirre, having done these things to be able to partake in Passover, bring an offering to God, um, then he likely would be included with inheritance. The assumption would be <clears throat> this gear essentially committing to all of this is probably going to marry if it was a female gear is going to marry an Israelite or an Israelite will take her to marry uh, providing that this gear was not a forbidden lineage. So there could be right of inheritance here. I just left that open. It's <clears throat> if I'm not correct on that, you don't have to take it as gospel. But these are the points that I glean from what a gear would have the opportunity to do. And that would be an immigrant to the land geographical landmass and a people an ethnological people called biblical israel so just by this very re, you know minimal review of scripture a world without borders isn't anywhere close to being biblical and in fact movement of individuals was contemplated by god i think the biblical record conveys that too In fact, it's most likely that after the scatterings by God at Babel, it would appear a universal law of national borders actually came into common existence. So right there was a divine immutable law of nations just by that act of God dividing the people at Babel. <clears throat> there's numerous instances in the bible where ethnological and geographical people distinctions and nations are specifically referred to there's no escaping it <clears throat> turn over to numbers i still got a finger there myself numbers chapter 20 It says, thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him. How did Edom come to establish a border? How is it that God, in his revealed word and record for us, makes the clear distinction that Edom has a border. If it isn't God's intention that we have a border. Just asking. Genesis 
Judges chapter 11. And verse 17. Then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through the land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. And in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab. But he would not consent. And Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. <clears throat> you see what I'm trying to do here, I hope, is help us to not be afraid to be able to tell people about why we should have a border. And you might be thinking, Doug, I forget that. I don't really think they do. I think that what has happened is the mind, you know, in fact, I've got a quote that I read from a guy. I wonder if I can find it here real quick. Um. <laughs> Uh, let's see. A couple of really insightful quotes. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm probably not going to find it real easily. I didn't really keep it um, up. Uh, There's a really interesting statement <clears throat> that pertains basically to this <clears throat> about modern mass migration. I'd know it if I see it, but I'm not. I'm looking for the word mass migration in what I'm looking at here in the in this uh, one. I'm not finding it um, right off the hand. I pulled up an article that um, was from a compilation of basically. <laughs> here it is. I think uh, the French political philosopher Jean-François Ravel observed i hope i did that good democratic civilization is the first in history to blame itself because another power is working to destroy it democratic civilization is the first in history to blame itself because another power is working to destroy it what distinguish distinguishes it is its eagerness to believe in its own guilt and is zealous in devising arguments to prove the justice of its adversary's case and to lengthen the already overwhelming list of its own inadequacies. This was an article titled Brexit and Multiculturalism, June 26, 2016. 
that was just a powerful statement to what's going on. I don't know if it rings the same to you guys, but democratic civilization is the first in history to blame itself because another power is working to destroy it. What distinguishes it is its eagerness to believe in its own guilt and is zealous in devising arguments to prove the justice of its adversary's case and to lengthen the already overwhelming list of its own inadequacies. Is that not the Anglo-Saxon peoples? Is this not the first thing that was done to Germany? To bury it in guilt and devising arguments, in fact, to prove the actual adversary's case? And who was the actual adversary? Mm-hmm. And to lengthen the already overwhelming list of its own inadequacies. In other words, we can't stop at finding enough ways to figure out how many ways we're guilty. I just, I, I thought that was the most profound quote that I have ever read on immigration. <clears throat> so, There's a couple of examples, again, where we see there was geographical boundaries that prevented Israel. And even God spoke specifically and said, do not go into certain people's land and country. And consider this. Jacob's sons went into Egypt from Canaan. And so essentially, they had no land. They were gares in Egypt. Did the Egyptians allow them inheritance? Obviously not. Did they allow them to assimilate in Egypt? Obviously not. The biblical record actually gives us reasonable clues where we would actually consider, in fact, no. Exodus chapter 1. Every professing Christian knows Exodus chapter 1. Let's go 8 to 10. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falls out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. <clears throat> Uh, 
here was the concern. They might become more and mightier. They may rise up. So, what was the solution? Exodus 1, 15 to 18. King of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, which the name of the one was Shephah and the other was Puah, and said, when you do the office of the midwife to the Hebrew women, see them upon the stools. If it be a son, then shall you kill it. But if it be a daughter, then shall she live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they saved the men children alive. Solution, infanticide. Isn't that an unequal treatment? Mm -hmm. They weren't practicing the same law. And obviously, they were not free to leave. They put taskmasters over them and attempted to limit their numbers. Is this not what you see going on in your country? You know, it, it begins to make me wonder if we could talk of this way amongst ourselves and amongst our own professing, believing Christians, as well as the general population at large, I begin to wonder if this wouldn't really be having an impact in people's minds. But we really don't talk about the story of Exodus as anything, as I've said so many times, we have to stop reading these things as stories, and we have to look for the legislative intent in them. You know, what is the purpose? You know, Go ahead. You brought the point up here. Verse 9, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. This mindset uh, permeates society today. So I was just thinking about that, thinking about this, this bloodline in Egypt. You know, God... God commanded us to remember what they did in the Exodus and all that. Uh, these people scattered around, didn't they? But the thought they did. is nothing new. It's nothing new, is it? It's jealousy. No. no. It's uh, envy. And And what did they do to deserve it? Just made them a great nation, didn't they? Amen. I mean, what was their sin? They made bricks and mortar and wanted to have children. I mean, did, do you see anything in this story where they committed a sin against the Israel, the Egyptians? Egyptian? No, no, none, none whatsoever. <clears throat> and and this is the legislative intent that God's trying to teach. This is why you have one law. For the homeborn and the stranger. So even God in his infinite mercy and wisdom is looking at these Egyptians and clearly he intended to punish them. But think about it. He even commanded that you don't do like they did for the very purpose that you were once a stranger in their land. 
Verse 11, so they appointed IRS agents over them to afflict them with hard labor. Name your agency. Yeah, name it. Your alphabet, just name the alphabet agency. Mm -hmm. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, keep it up. Absolutely. The, yeah. The So the legislative intent of the creator that you just conveyed, Russell, was, and he is the giver and sustainer of life. So any authority held or exercised by men is limited in the interest of justice. Justice means equity. Justice simply means justice. Mm-hmm. Um, before I run out of time, I want to take you to something in Genesis chapter 43, but I'm afraid I'm going to run out of time. So I'm going to just, I'm going to go to Genesis 47 for the greater point that I want to make <clears throat> and I have to bring that other one up sometime later. But, um, in, uh, let's, let's go to 47 of Genesis verses four to six. And I'll start wrapping this up here. Uh, they said, moreover, unto Pharaoh, for to sojourn in the land are we come. For thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee in the best of the land. Make thy father and brethren to dwell in the land of Goshen. Let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. The context here is that Joseph had already told the Israelite brethren that they should say that they were cattle shepherds, essentially. And <clears throat> the reason I want to bring ourselves to this attention, to, to this passage before we wrap this up, is that these passages convey, number one, the word sojourn, as used in the King James Version, is number 1481. It's gur, and it means to dwell for a definite or an indefinite time without original rights. And don't miss this. Verse 4 is a request to sojourn. So we have historical biblical precedents to Yahweh's legislative intent already practiced in Egypt by Egyptians. Do you see what I'm saying? They had to ask permission. We've already seen it in their migration from uh, in the Exodus certain lands that they were to go in or go through, they needed to seek permission. So there's our biblical historical precedents <laughs> to his le his legislative intent. Whether you, you know, whether Christians can embrace the idea of God's law being applicable or not, embrace the legislative intent of the law. What was the legislative intent? Every law that we write in America, there's a legislative intent. What was the legislative intent of the law? 
And so what we have here was a request to sojourn. And he was they were granted by the Pharaoh. And the fact that shepherds were not a high class group, that I think there were seven or so class groupings or something in, in Egypt, and the shepherds were disliked. I think it goes back to the Hyksos shepherds. I read a little bit of a commentary on that. I, I don't have any definitive information. But anyhow, <clears throat> Joseph made a point of making sure that the brethren understood that when they went before Pharaoh, they were, you find that in 46 toward the end of the chapter, that they make sure that they, uh, to tell him that they are shepherders and that they are shepherders of cattle. And, and that was going to give them the right, essentially, or give them the better position, number one, of being and remaining separate from the Egyptians, the greater Egyptian po population, because they would be among the shepherders in the land of Goshen. And I think that's not insignificant. I think that was a very important uh, uh, move that Joseph made in keeping Israel somehow distinct and separate. And the stay required permission. Secondly, the geographical dwelling location was established. And any other requirements could have been placed, as is evident from the Pharaoh, by asking what their occupation was. So that we, he was completely within his duty of the realm to inquire as to what their occupations were and find any suitable place that he deemed. But by Joseph doing what he did, he took him out really of the hand of the Pharaoh. But then the Pharaoh does say, if there's any of them among the men that can be you know, utilized to uh, shepherd my cattle, let them be placed over them. Well, at the same time, you can imagine these people come in from this other land, and suddenly Joseph starts appointing these people over Pharaoh's cattle. I don't know whether it happened or not. I really believe that Joseph did this for the very reason of their own preservation also, so that there wouldn't become any or there wouldn't be any reason for the Egyptians to despise them, if you understand what I'm saying. I think that would have been very important to Joseph. So, and separation was not uncommon. They were already separated by classes in Egypt. I know you have to get into a little more history to understand that, but that is true. Uh, and fifth, they could be given other commissions within the country. I probably already said that <clears throat> with the reference that the Pharaoh made to what their occupation was. But so those are some things that I gleaned. And again, what was the purpose of taking us to immigration? Because immigration is the issue today. And I want to show now the people involved with violating God's principles and legislative intent built into his law. And I'm sorry, I can't do them both in the same I'm going to have to divide it up into two separate ones. And as to the usury, I really didn't get into who 
it is that is doing what are is being done in violating the laws of God as it pertains to usury. <clears throat> so what I'm of a mind to do is that perhaps I will do both of these in a separate audio and um, I'll have to tie them together somehow in the archive page so that you can go back to them because the numbering sequence in Takshu automatically generates and I can't rechange the numbers around. So in other words, we have part one and part two. And for me to add, I just didn't have the time to do the usury last week and I'm probably not going to have time to do the people involved in violating the laws and the legislative intent of God's laws pertaining to immigration this week either because I've got a, another two-day snow event coming up and, and that's going to chew up you know, a good portion of I just get wiped out by the end of the day <laughs> dealing with that much snow and so yeah so russell chuckles because he knows what it's like to be wiped out at the end of the day and so i'm just like the rest of you i get wiped out at the end of the day and and i may get ready to start to study and i can't keep my eyes uh you know from wanting to close and stuff so anyhow i know we're at the top of the hour i hope this was enjoyable in some part and measure and that it will be beneficial and edifying for those that might hear it in the archives. So with that, I want to lift a few people up in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I do, I do thank you for the safe travel that you provided Rich and Nancy. And Father, for the wonderful work you're already doing in assisting them in, in the opinions that they're getting about uh, things that are going on with Rich. Father, we know that your hand is is in our lives daily for those that love you we thank you for that we thank you for the blessings that you're going to be working in rich and that are already working now and so we just thank you for that and father i thank you for the blessing you've given us with some additional income this month and uh, it's just tremendous we thank you for that father we pray for those that are in need all over our country we pray for those in south africa father 150 farm attacks in 2022 150 with more than 40 dead and murdered on these farms father i pray for your wonderful intervention in whatever way you see fit let your will be done in that nation as it pertains to what's going on. Father, you've provided us so many things in the scripture that you've told us that we would own the gates of our enemies. And you positioned and placed your people all over the nations and all over the world in the positions and the places and the geographical locations that you wanted them to be in. And I know we violated your laws, violated your statutes, your judgments, your principles, your legislative intent. Can't even understand what it is you've tried to do through us for the benefit of the whole world. And now we watch as we have failed in such a miserable way. We watch the manifestation of the destruction that is coming and quite often feel as if 
<coughs> Excuse me. It is divinely ordained. Can't help but thinking that it is divinely ordained. You said these are the things that are going to happen if you won't abide in me. And so, Father, I ask for forgiveness. I ask for your grace upon your people everywhere. Father, the enemy is raised up higher. The, we've become the tail. They've become the head. See it, Father. We know it. We pray that you work in us, that we be that remnant for you. And be the generations or bring about the generations that will once again reclaim your will over their lives and over their countries. I ask these things, Father, in the blessed holy name of your Son, and thank you for it, knowing now these words are being brought to your ears in the most fitting way. Thank you. We praise you. We give glory to you. And Father, I pray for the, the grandchild that's about to be born, and just pray that, that you continue to be with that womb and the mother that a joy and blessing will be heard in all Israel in the coming days. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Mm. Amen. Good night, all. Good night. All right, everybody. Good night, all. Good night. Thanks for joining.